All right, well, let's get into the Word and um, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your incredible Word. We thank you for your Word every single week, Lord. And uh, we know that your word is going to speak to us today. I pray that every heart would be open, every spiritual ear would be open to hear, every spiritual eye would be open to see what you're doing in, in our, all of our lives, Father. And let the word of God uh, just smash off any mindsets and break down barriers that would cause us to uh, not see you and hear you correctly, Lord. So we surrender ourselves today as the hearers, both the hearers and as the speaker as well, Lord. I ask you to speak through me and I pray that every single person would really hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the last couple of weeks we've been talking a little bit about faith and we've been speaking a bit about hope. And so today I want to continue on a little bit with that theme. And I want to talk about what does faith and hope together look like when we're really sort of standing on shaky ground. Sometimes we go through life and we feel like we can't find God. We feel like we can't see God. So then we sort of say, well, now what? You know, we all have those moments and there's, there's popular Christian terminology, you know, where we say, oh, we feel dry. Well, that's what they used to say when I was younger. Don't know what you guys say now, but there's a sense of drifting or there's a sense of not feeling in that place of what we would say, once again, Christian kind of terminology on fire in God, right? And it's all just terminology that kind of tries to express a specific state that we're in in our relationship with God. And so it's a very relevant thing um, for us to understand. And so when you want to look at somebody's life to understand, well, what does faith and what does hope look like when you're on in that place of instability and vulnerability and, and maybe transition or things are shifting and changing around you and you can't change your circumstances? What does it look like when you're on shaky ground? And so there's really no better book to go to than the book of Job. And I was r reminded of the book of Job this week from my precious friend, Renee, who sent me a scripture. And so it, it, it refocused my attention again on the book of Job and so much so that I woke up at about four o'clock this morning, couldn't sleep. So I got up and I read the entire book of Job from beginning to end. I was gripped by it. And of course, then um, Bram woke up and turned the light on and I said, shh, go back to sleep. I like it quiet and dark. And then, so that I could concentrate. And then five minutes later, I'm like, Bram, Bram, quick, come and talk to me about this. And then it, we'd finish discussing that theologically. Then I said, okay, okay, you can go back now to your room. You can go be quiet now. And um, so it was just amazing to be cocooned uh, in the dark four or five o'clock in the morning with the book of Job on my phone and just reading through it and praying and talking to God about it. And, you know, so it's, it's a crazy story and I think it'd be amazing at some point to do an entire series just on the book of Job because it's so rich and so amazing to kind of grasp the concepts and uh, I'm, I'm only just scratching the surface of it, but you talk about someone who's in despair. You talk about a man who's uh, in a state of loss and grief. Uh, the story goes that he's lost everything. He's, he, used, he was a very wealthy man, very well-known man, very prominent man, prominent family, lots of kids and um, lots of possessions, but he lost all his children. He lost all his possessions. He lost all his cattle and his oxen and his sheep and all sorts of things. He lost everything. He even lost his health. And um, it's a crazy story when you go back and read about this man who was such a man of reverence to God and loved God and honored God and walked uprightly with integrity before God. And then he had these three friends that came to him and basically tried to squeeze a retribution theology 
right down into Job's situation and uh, basically saying, well, you must have done something wrong for God to have done this to you. So he's got these friends. You know, here he is with boils all over his body and he's completely diseased and he's in grief and he's lost all his kids and lost everything he owned, lost his standing in the community. He's reviled by people and mocked and people are saying, well, you must have done something to bring this on. Uh, to, to, to make God do this to you. And then Job from the other side didn't like what they were saying because he knew he'd been a man of integrity. He knew he'd walked uprightly and done the right thing and had a right heart before God. But then he made the mistake of trying to justify himself to God based on his integrity and his sense of righteousness. And so the story goes that he, he got to a point where he said he felt like he couldn't actually see where God was. He couldn't feel God. He couldn't understand what was going on. I think... I kind of don't blame him, really. Um, He couldn't understand what was going on. He thought that God was angry with him. He thought that he could win a legal argument with God based on his uprightness of heart. He thought that if he could just have a hearing before God, that surely he could present his case to God and that he would have a, a correct hearing before God and he could win a legal argument with God. So let's pick it up in Job chapter 23, verse 1. It says, Then Job replied, because there's this big discourse, this big conversation going on between him and his three mates, and they're discussing the, the principles behind all this. So Job replied, and verse 2 goes on to say, Even today my complaint or my babbling is bitter. So there was a, an ache in his heart. He was full of bitterness and, and, and was just at the end of his rope, basically. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. He's talking about God. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. See, this is him thinking if I could just go before God, I'd be able to argue my case. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him and there I would be delivered forever from my judge. So it's good. We read this and we go, well, this is great that he's putting his trust in the nature of God, in the very character of God, that God is a just God, he is a fair God. But the dilemma was that he put his trust in his righteousness to be able to plead his case. He thought that he could stand on that, that that's what would get him out of the situation. So that was the dilemma that Job was facing. But then we go on in verse 8, and the reality is here that he couldn't actually see God in the midst of all of this. And I think we often go through these times where we feel just like Job, like we're looking for God. We feel unstable. We may not have lost everything, but we may be just going through times of indifference in our relationship with God. And uh, so it goes on in verse 8, it says, But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west... I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. So he's despairing. He's saying, I've looked everywhere, north, south, east and west, and I can't find God. All I want to do is stand before him and present my case and let him know, hey, I've been a man of integrity. I've been a good man, an upright man all these years. And of course, the story is, if you read back over Job, and we'll do that one day, is that this actually didn't come from God. This actually came from the devil. And uh, it's a fascinating story to dissect and and to understand. So then we we get to verse 10, and here we see where the shift begins to happen. 
And we see that somehow there's faith and there's hope deep down on the inside that somehow all of this is worth it. It's quite incredible. So in verse 10, it says this, but he, God, knows the way that I take. In other words, he knows me. He knows who I am. He began to put his faith in the fact that he knows that God knows him. He knows the intricacies of who he is as a human being. And he says, he knows the way that I take. He knows how I'm going to respond. He knows everything in me. And you know, the Bible tells us that he knows you and I. He knows every thought that we have. He knows every prayer that we need to pray even before we pray it. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. That's what the Bible says. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each and every one of us are unique before God, and he knows us. It's, it's almost incomprehensible to our small human brain, isn't it? To think that God knows me, like who am I for God to know me? But he does. He knows my name. I mean, you just have to fast forward into the New Testament, and you see the names of literal people, good and bad, that are written in letters and in the Gospels people that God knows their names of. And it's, it's amazing to, to think about that, that you and I are so specifically known. So Job begins to remember his position of faith right now. Instead of demanding something from God, he begins to say, you know what? God actually knows me. He knows how I'm going to respond. And then he says in the second part, he says, and when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Now that's the punchline right there. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. And this is a powerful principle of hope right here. Whether he was in fact being directly tested by God, that's debatable and that's for another uh, sermon. In a sense he was, but he wasn't, it wasn't coming directly from the hand of God. It was coming from the devil. The devil was testing him. And God was allowing it to happen. You know, the Bible tells us, don't ever anyone say when they're tempted that they're tempted by, by God. Our God is a good God. But here he is saying, you know, even when I'm tested, when I go through these things, when we do go through the fire, when we do go through the refiner's fire, however it's coming at us, wherever it's coming from, however God is just allowing it to happen, there's something of hope at the very end of it, which is I will come through it as pure gold. So here we see a demonstration of Job releasing faith and releasing hope. He's saying, you know what? I believe in the nature of God to know me. He knows my needs. He knows exactly where I am right now. He knows what I need to go through to bring me through. Even the word testing, sometimes we react to that and go, why would God try to test me? Well, it's so that we will come out better at the other end. It's actually for our good. And so Job is beginning to get this. You know, sometimes when we're in that, in that place, we can put trust in the process. And this is where we have to get to that place. I believe as we journey with God, we learn to do this. This is something that, that God has had to teach me. You know, I've been dragged into it, kicking and screaming. No one wants to feel like things are shaky around them. We do everything we can to build secure lives around us don't we? To feel like we're honoring God, we're respecting God, we're doing the right thing, we're respecting people, we're loving people. But then sometimes just stuff happens. It's called life. It's called being human. And it's also called being in a journey with God. Because it's in that, that refiner's fire that we learn more and more about the nature of God in us and around us. And it's amazing. 
And I know I sound, say that here and I, it sounds so wonderful, but believe me, when I'm in the midst of it, I'm kicking and screaming against it. No one likes to be in that position, but I'm telling you, when you come out and you start to catch a glimpse of the gold that's being produced in your life, guys, you turn around and you go, I can't believe I'm saying this, but that was actually worth going through. Has anyone been through anything like that before? Where you feel like you've gone through it kicking and screaming and then you come out the other end? It's amazing, isn't it? See, that's faith with hope. That's faith saying, I trust in God's nature to know me, know what's best for me. But also I know that if I would just hold on to him, hold on to the hope of what he's calling me to and what he's gonna do in me, I know it's gonna produce something amazing in my life. And we all know enough about God and just reading in the Bible that when he does something good in our lives, it doesn't just bless us, it blesses the people around us, doesn't it? So that's what Job is saying here. You know, vision sometimes feels cloudy. We, we talked last week about seeing with the eyes of our heart, and that's what hope is. But sometimes that vision feels cloudy and we can't see it. But I tell you what, guys, it is worth it. It is worth shooting for that position of hope. You know, when I think about it in the New Testament context, Peter had to go through something pretty hard. He went through a, a time where he was tested, really, by God. And in fact, the way that Jesus puts it in Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, being Simon Peter, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Really similar to the, to the story of Job. You see, jo Satan came to God to demand something about Job and God gave him permission. So, so is Peter being tested by God or is Peter being tested by the devil? Was Job being tested by God or was he being tested by the devil? I don't know, we'll, we'll look at that another time. But the bottom line is God allowed it. And so it says here, Satan has demanded permission. He still had to ask permission to sift you like weak. E even with Job, he demanded stuff and God said, you can do it, you can have him, but you can't kill him. You can't take his life. God put limitations on him. So it's an interesting theological question to look at. But then it says in verse 32 of Luke 22, but I have prayed for you. So this is Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't want bad things for us, but when things happen in our lives, he will intercede for us. And it says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned again, you will go and strengthen your brothers. Now, if that's not gold, I don't know what is. If that's not gold coming out of the, the fire, I don't know what is. And that's what, that's what Jesus was saying to Peter. Come on, there's, there's something about to happen in your life. Just like with Job, there was something about to happen in his life. But Job knew enough about the nature of God to say, you know what, I know. God knows me. He knows my way. Even, even if I can't get an audience with him in the courts of justice to bring my case, you know what, I can stand on the faith that he actually knows me and how I'm gonna respond. And you know what, it's exactly the same for you and I. God already knows how you and I are going to respond. All he's saying is, come on, hold on to the hope that's right there. Just you know, look for the light at the end of the tunnel. Don't stay in the tunnel. Keep walking through and get to the light at the other end because there's gold. And of course, we saw even in the New Testament with Peter, that's exactly what happened. And exactly the same thing happened with Job. It's amazing. He got everything back and it was, the blessing was doubled. He had kids again. Like, it's an amazing, amazing story. But what was the solution with Job? So he began to shift. He had this big dilemma. He felt like he had to bring something before God he couldn't understand based on his righteousness, why he was going through stuff, just like you and I, we go through things. 
But then he remembers, no, God knows me and I can believe that something good is going to happen in me. And then we see in verses 11 and 12 what the actual um, solution was for him. It goes on to say, my feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Wow. So this is the how. How did Job do it? How did he get through this complete lack of understanding, complete, it wasn't just mental anguish, it was physical anguish, it was emotional anguish. It was anguish on every, you talk about grief, you talk about loss. This guy, no wonder he would have preferred to have just died and you know, gone to heaven, and at least he would have been not able to feel anything. But he, he, he realizes, no, this is what I've done. I've followed closely his steps. You know, Proverbs 13, 13, I'm not sure if I said this last week or not, but it says, the one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. It, it, the, the power of the word of God is unfathomable to us. We can't begin to understand the, just the greatness of standing on the word of God. See, what, he, what he's basically saying is, everything I've done in my life, I've narrowed it down to just following the ways of God, listening to the commands of God, and not only that, treasuring it in my heart on a daily basis. You know, you hear about pilots who get trained to, to fly through storms when they're in a simulator, and because they have to be able to have the correct reactions when they're up there in the sky with all of us on board. And in a simulator, they are trained until their senses are trained to follow obedience rather than what they're feeling. And, you know, they, they'll simulate a storm or they'll simulate all sorts of damaging things happening. And when they feel like they want to go one way in the plane, they have to obey literally the commandments of, of the instruments that are on the panel in front of them. Even though everything in them, all their instincts and senses are saying, turn right, turn right, no, turn left, no, go up, no, go down. If the instruments are saying the opposite, they have to be trained to do exactly what the instruments on, the, on that panel say so that they will bring people to safety. And you know what? That's the principle of the Word of God. When everything in us is screaming out, I want to do this, I need to go that way, I need to follow that way. No, 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 no. We have to follow the Word of God. And that's what Job is saying, that's what he did. So what do we do when everything that we know about Jesus, this could be our dilemma, right? When everything that we know about Jesus, who is the object of our faith, who is the embodiment of our hope that we spoke about last week, when all of that is put to the test and is challenged, by the perceived reality of life. What do we do with that? You know, just like Job, sometimes at different times we'll discover that it is possible to, to know him truly, but not know him fully. That we can know him, yet not comprehend his ways fully. You know, it's interesting, so often I see people go through struggles, and, and I've been through it myself, when I'm going through difficult times, and querying what's going on here. You know, we've got to be careful that we don't have other wrong voices circling us at that time. Job had wrong voices circling him, trying to pull him in a direction of a very legalistic, harsh reality of the judgment of God. And that wasn't beneficial at all to Job. And sometimes we get in positions where people try to help us, 
But what our friends and our people around us are trying to say to us is actually taking us further away from the grace that God wants to bring us into and the truth that God wants to show us. Sometimes there are wrong doctrines, sometimes there are wrong philosophies. But the word is always calling out to us, just like it was to him. So we need to make sure that we are always allowing the word of God to penetrate into our hearts. So when you look at Job 23, from 8 to 12, you can see it's divided into three things, and we're going to finish with this. Number one, the reality of life was there. He was faced by his humanity and its limitations to know, or rather even not to know, where God was in his current situation. Sometimes we feel like that. Number two, faith and hope were there. Even in the midst of that confusion, at the same time, there's an inner conviction of knowing God and being known by God. And there was an unwavering hope and a trust in him. And you know what? This is what gets us through everything. And then the last thing, the third thing is, that was the solution. That for Job, keeping his part of the deal in his life, to be able to go through that ordeal was to keep his eyes on the word of God. So what Job is saying to us here is, I don't know where God is. I don't know what he's doing. I can't see him and neither can I understand him. The only tangible thing I have in front of me is his word and I will treasure it and I will guard it with all that I have. That's what he's saying to us. You know, my understanding is this, even though sometimes I can't see, see God, even though I know I'm being tested before God, whether it's coming from God, or the, it doesn't really matter in a sense. If I'm in that position of Peter or like Job, I need to make decisions at that moment. This, this is me personally speaking. I need to make decisions that I don't confuse my trial that I'm going through with God, that God is trying to work on somebody else except me. I need to recognize that this is probably me that God is doing the work in. So that's what I, these are the things that I, I remember as I go through things. So what do I do while I'm in that waiting place? So that what? Not so that I feel beat up by God, no. So that I come forth as gold. It's not so that I can say, oh, I'm such a worm, I don't deserve to, you know, a worm crawling in the dust, I don't deserve God, no. The Bible says, who is man that you are mindful of him? We are so precious before God. He, he's, see, when you read the whole book of Job, you realize the greatness and grandeur of God and the grace and the love of God is absolutely phenomenal. You know, the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, not his anger and his wrath, and I want to beat you up and make you feel like you're worse than anything. No, it's his kindness because he wants gold to come out of our lives. We just have to be willing to go through the journey. We just have to be willing to, to keep going when we're in the middle of our storm, when we're in the middle of standing on shaky ground. Or maybe it's not even us that's shaky, maybe it's people around us. Maybe it's the world around us. And we're, we're in a place of feeling shaky, just watching everybody else. What do we do? We, we, we act like the pilots in the simulator. We go back to the instruments on the panel. We look at the Word of God. We go, you know what, God, I can't trust my emotions. I can't trust my feelings. There are doctrines and people circling me. There are wrong voices in the media. There are wrong voices on my Facebook page. There are people on my Instagram feed. There are, there are people pulling me in this direction from that Christian stream. There are people in this Christian stream that are, are dismantling everything that that Christian stream is saying. Then you've got this new group over here that they're saying that that group over there is wrong and we have to dismantle and, and re, re, just look at everything else and debunk everything else and it gets so confusing 
Meanwhile, I'm just trying to live out my life and walk on shaky ground. Anyone ever feel like that? It's like stuff the rest of the world. I just need to know how I do this well. I need to know how I do my life well. Well, I go back to the simulator on the panel and I go, you know what, God, I'm just going to look to your word. So this is what I do to remind myself. I remember that God judges fairly. When I'm in a place of feeling shaky and not knowing what's going on, I remember and remind myself that just like in 1 Peter 2.23, that I can entrust myself to him who judges fairly. So God watches everything. He judges and he, he judges everything fairly and rightly. So I can, I can take assurance in that. In Proverbs 22.1, it says, sorry, in Proverbs 21.2, I got that wrong. 21.2, not 22.1. It says, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. In other words, we all come from a different perspective. You look at this situation from that side, I look at it from that side, you look at it from that side, and to be honest, we're all seeing something correct. So we all think that we're doing the right thing, but see, God doesn't look at what we're doing. He looks at the motives of our hearts. He looks at where our heart is, and are we looking to him? Are we yielding to his truth and to his word? So I I meditate on that. I know that he's a just God. Well, the first one is I don't confuse my trial with the fact that I think God's working on everyone else. No, I I keep the focus on me. Number two, I remind myself he's a just God. And the third one is I meditate on the nature of God. And that's the last one. You know, Jesus is an exact representation of God. It says in Hebrews 1 verse 3 that he, in fact, is the exact representation of God the Father's nature. So everything that we see about Jesus that is kind, that is compassionate, that he'll do good in my life. In fact, 1 John 3.8 says that for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's what he came for. He didn't come to destroy me. He didn't come to destroy you. He didn't come to destroy the world. He didn't come to destroy the broken lives that we see being lived out before us on every form of social media, television, everything that we care to look out, take, point our eyes towards. We see brokenness everywhere. He didn't come to destroy them. He didn't come to destroy us. He's not the instigator of those things. He came to give life and life abundantly. And so I remind myself of the nature of God. So in conclusion, I'll get the music team up again. I'd love us to sing God is able. We're going to end on a high note just declaring that our God is able, all right? And in conclusion, it's a verse that I, I read last week. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. It sounds so simple, doesn't it, to say it. It's another thing to actually operate in it and, and do it. But let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. These are the words of Jesus. So if we look at him alone, you know, every day of my life is another opportunity for me to stand on this scripture. You know, my heart gets troubled about a lot of things. You heard about that last week. Not a day goes by that the devil doesn't try to trouble me that he doesn't try to stir me up and make me anxious. And yet the word here says, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. It's like, well, that's great, God. You can say that, but how do I do it? You know, fantastic. But how do I practically do that? The only way I know how to do it 
is to remember that God judges fairly, that He's a just God, that He loves me, that I will come through as pure gold if I will let God continue the work in me. Now, every one of us are at different places in our walks with God right now. But we can trust in God's nature and we can believe in His sacrifice. And we can all have the hope on the inside of the gold that it will produce in our lives. But in the end, it's only the Word that will guide our paths. You know, I want to encourage you guys. If you can get to DMS this year, is basically one whole week of saturating ourselves in the Word of God. Over the years, people talk about, they feel like they're revived, they're in revival during DMS. But then they languish afterwards and they wonder why. And, and it's been something that we've looked at and gone, why is this God? And so now we've got the whole mentoring thing happening at the end, which is just amazing. But it's so simple. It's because when we literally kind of smother ourselves with the Word of God, it begins to shift things in us. It begins to change things in us. And so when we come together and we worship, there's an explosion of truth on the inside. Do you know what we're just saying? If our God is for us, who can be against us? That's Scripture. That's Romans 8.31. You know, I memorise these Scriptures. This is what we teach on in DMS. But you see, then we get back to normal life and we only come to church once a week. And for the rest of the week, we're, we're allowing our minds to be saturated and drenched in other philosophies and other voices. And we wonder, why don't I feel the same revival that I felt in DMS? Well, we can feel the same. You can get up like me. I felt like I was in revival this morning reading the whole book of Job. Now, I don't do that every morning. Of course I don't. But the Word of God does something in you, guys. If you feel you're drifting, slap yourself around, look yourself in the mirror, slap yourself around a bit, get the Bible out and start reading it. Let it speak to you, put it on audio, let the Word speak to you. It's amazing, I don't know how else to describe it except that Hebrews 4.12 describes it perfectly. The Word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates between soul and spirit. It divides and separates the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It takes away all our souls. It highlights what is just your soulish stuff. And it shows you what the Spirit of God is saying to you. See, this is the Word. We, we, we want to come to church to get built up, but really, we should all come so built up in the Word that when we get together, we're building one another up. It's amazing. So DMS, if you can put that week aside, take some leave, get in here, get built up because we need labourers, we need leaders and we don't need leaders that, that look like they've got incredible giftings on our lives. You know what? God can raise up a stone to have a great gift on their life. He can raise up anyone to be a great preacher or to be a great worship leader or whatever. What we need are people who are ready to lay down their lives to shepherd the flock, to look after people, to care for the sheep. That's what Jesus said, pray that there'll be more laborers in the harvest. The harvest is ripe. It's white. It's ready for harvest. The fields are ripe and ready. We need leaders. We need people. But we need people who know the Word of God and love the Word of God and live on the Word of God. So if you can make DMS, if you know people from interstate overseas, invite them. It's just one week intensive here in Melbourne. And let's get the Word into people. The world needs the Word in you. Yeah? It needs the word in you, it needs the word in me, it needs the word in a, in a church 
than knows how to live that word.